If you're in your Bibles, we want to turn to Ephesians 2, where we're going to be this morning, uh, in terms of referring to the Bible in front of you. Um, but I'm going to start just saying I love being a parent, and I have the luxury this morning. I have no children in this gathering. They're either at uh, Shaw Hope Kids or um, Talia had something else that she's going to go to church tonight. Um, and so I can do a little brag book moment. Um, I've got a whole lot of photos. Uh, so this is Talia when she was around that two, three age, cute, learning to brush her teeth while mummy brushes her teeth. Um, here's Benaya, around that two, three age, and he's learning to play piano. He's envious of his big sister who's just starting to learn. Um, Chloe, around that two, three age, ha- having fun at a Christmas party. <laughs> and, uh, and this was Matthias just a year or so ago, cute as, running around. I love that. I love my kids at all stages. I love my kids right now. They're, they're great ages. But I do love that stage of life. Because it's a particular time when, they, when, when they're busy, they're active, they've still got the freedom, and yet at the same time, they're just blithely unaware of how much I love them. Just have no idea. Life is just a given. I don't appreciate how much I love them. And I reckon that is a small picture of God's grace. Um, today, we begin this series on basic truth. And we're going to be thinking about God's grace, his undeserved kindness to us, and how it invites us to trust him. Uh, As we're going to see each time, I'm going to take us through this think, feel, and live. But what I want us to see this morning is just that we, we just underestimate the extent of God's love that comes out of his grace. How about we pray? Heavenly Father, do please be at work this morning. I pray for your spirit to take your word and make it effective in our hearts. I pray that you would draw us closer and closer to Christ. And particularly this morning, show us that we can trust you because you are a God who is full of grace. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so definitions first. What is grace? Simple definition is undeserved favour. Undeserved favour. Favor. It's kindness you never earned. Um, the word used for grace or favor in the Bible, it describes an attitude of someone who has status or power towards someone who doesn't. And yet they show kindness, they show privilege. So when a king honors a subject, or when a slave master treats his slave with respect and dignity, that's Grace. Um, we actually see it in the Bible, Luke 1, verse 30. Um, this is just a, a simple example. The angel is telling Mary that she's going to be Jesus' mum. She's going to give birth to the Son of God. And she, he, the angel uses this word. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour, the word is grace, with God. Grace is this privilege. It's shown to someone who doesn't deserve it. And that describes how God treats his people. It is undeserved favour. And having that definition in mind actually is really helpful because it gives us the two big ways that we tend to get grace wrong. Uh, First of all, we don't often realise how little we deserve. Now look again at Ephesians 2 uh, in your Bible. To describe us without God, it uses the language of being dead, cut off from God, because we follow Satan. Verse 1. As for you, you were dead in the transgressions and sins in which you used to live, 
when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. We have this massive sin problem. We ignore God and we follow the world and Satan. All the way back to the Garden of Eden. Remember? Adam and Eve, they ignored God's command and listened to Satan's lie instead. And so they did what they wanted, what they thought was best. They followed their desires and that's that's why we deserve God's anger. Because we live to satisfy ourselves. Verse 3. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. First thing to appreciate about grace is we don't deserve it. We deserve judgment. We deserve punishment. I don't know, we don't hear that in our society. We even have banks telling us it's time for you. Um, every piece of advertising is, I, I went and saw Avengers last night and all the advertising beforehand, it's all about satisfying myself. You deserve this. This is what the life you should, you should earn, have earned and deserve. But actually, when it comes to our relationship with God, we have a problem. We don't deserve His kindness. And the other thing is, we don't appreciate how much favour God has shown us. We don't appreciate the size of his kindness. Uh, It's not just that he doesn't punish us. I mean, that would be enough. But he gives us life through Jesus. Look at verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. But Paul doesn't stop there. God didn't stop there. He shows more grace. He honours us. He seeks us in heaven with Jesus. And apparently that's just the opening credits. Verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressing his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We're already seated in heaven. Did you see that? Already seated in heaven, and yet the best is yet to come. This is not from death to life. This is from death to privilege and honour. This is not enemies made friends. This is enemies brought into the throne room of God as loved children, sons and daughters. This is God's favour. It is huge. And it is all gift. It's all grace from beginning to end. Listen to verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This is grace. Tremendous honour, totally undeserved. Uh, D.L. Moody was a, a great preacher in the 19th century. Uh, he, apparently when he preached his first sermon on grace, it was just after the great Chicago fire of 1871. You'd think people are really tender to the realities of life. Uh, Moody had been reflecting deeply on grace all week. His heart was full with the theme. He was looking forward to preaching it. He, he stands up and he preaches assuming that everyone is equally moved by this astounding grace of God. 
He finishes his sermon. He invites people to stay and find out more, and here's what he writes. I expected some would have stayed, but what was my mortification to see the whole audience rise up and go away? They hadn't any interest in grace. They didn't want to learn anything about grace. I put my coat and hat on and was going out of the hall when I saw a poor fellow at the back of the furnace crying. I want to hear about the grace of God, he said. You're the man I want then, said I. Yes, the poor fellow said. You said in your sermon that it was free and I want you to tell me something about it. Well, I got to talking to him and he told me a pitiful story. He had drank away $20,000. His home had been broken up and his wife and children had left him. I spoke to him and it was not long before we were down together praying. To understand grace, we need to see the privilege. We need to see how much we needed God's grace. Because grace is undeserved kindness. Now that points us to a couple of areas where we get the thinking wrong about grace. For example, uh, grace isn't just God making up the difference. So it's not that we have 10 bucks and we needed 15 and so God flips us a fiver. That's actually how I used to think about grace. I, I remember this key moment when I was becoming a Christian. Someone said to me, Russell, what's grace? I said, well, we try our best and God makes up the difference. And he looked at me and said, Russell, you have no idea about grace. <laughs> And that's what got me looking. I suddenly realised I didn't understand. Our sin is enormous. Ephesians says we're dead. We're not just wounded. And that's the thing. We, we misunderstand grace. We think grace is just a push start. And God graciously gets behind the car and gives it a shove. And so grace is just help to obey God. So the Catholic Church actually says something like this at the Council of Trent in 1547. They said God provides grace uh, that so they, who by sins were alienated from God, may be disposed through his quickening and assisting grace to convert themselves to their own justification by freely assenting to and cooperating with that said grace. So this is the idea of grace plus works where grace helps save you, but you need to cooperate. But have a look again at verse 10. The good works we do are planned by God, and they come after our salvation. We're already alive, raised, and seated with Christ. Good works are the, the byproduct. They don't help save us. Our Protestants have our own version of this. It's the idea of grace plus faith. So uh, faith sort of becomes for us a work. Yes, God saves us by grace, but only if we get faith right. Uh, only if we trust God enough or trust God at the right moments. But we fear if we get our faith wrong, he won't save us. Again, I say no. Have a look at verse 8. Yes, <coughs> we receive salvation by faith, but even that faith is part of God's gift. Can you see that? Faith is a fruit of grace. So it's the illustration I used a couple of weeks ago where you have two people on the plane, one totally confident, they have total faith, the other terrified. They barely made it on the plane. But they made it on. They trusted the plane enough to get on. They both 
make the journey. It doesn't matter how strong their faith is, what gets them there is the plane. And that's God's grace. It doesn't matter if you have strong faith or weak faith, it is God's kindness, his undeserved favour that saves us. So it's grace that gives us salvation. We're saved by grace. Yes, uh, that grace, is we, we grab hold of it by faith. We trust that God is kind. Um, and or, yes, it leads us to good works. But these are all part of God's grace towards us. These are all gifts from God to trust him. We are saved by grace. Now, now, why do I take the time to unpack those sort of details and talk about the contrast? It's because I think we've got to get our thinking right or else our feeling goes wrong. Because if we think, if we limit the size of God's grace, what is the feeling that we're supposed to have in response to God's grace? We're supposed to feel, well, we're supposed to feel lots of things. Uh, we should feel sorry. Uh, we, we don't deserve God's kindness. We should feel grateful because God has been so generous to us. But the feeling, I think, that sits at the heart of it all is feeling loved. Feeling loved. The security of knowing that you are loved. It's interesting in Ephesians. Uh, Paul keeps writing. He, he unpacks the implications of grace. If, if people are saved totally by grace, then anyone can be saved, he says. He speaks to Jews and Gentiles. Look, it doesn't matter what your racial background is. It doesn't matter what your gender is. It, you are saved by grace, and so you are all equally welcome. But he actually thinks that's going to, they're going to struggle to accept that. In your Bible, just skim down to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, end of that chapter. He actually prays for them because he realises they're going to struggle to comprehend the extent of God's love for them. They're, they're not going to... You had to comprehend how much God loves them. Verse 17, I'll start out just part way through. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That love is that what sits at the heart of God's grace. It's there in verse chapter 2, verse 4 too. I, I forgot to mention that. Um, that the grace is born out of God's love for us. Salvation by grace says you are loved. And I think that, that's important to say, because if we say God loves us, it, we can pick the wrong paradigm. Sometimes God gives us marriage as an illustration of, love, of his love for us. But it's interesting, we tend to think of marriage as a, as a love of equals, don't we? Husband and wife, uh, equally deserving love. But grace says God's love is greater than that. It's the undeserved love. Uh, God loved us long before we loved him. So uh, Romans 5 verse 8 says it really well. Have a look on the screen. Uh, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. That's God's love. That is grace. Undeserved favour. Grace says you are loved. And, and so, look, we live in this society where we say we're all equals. 
that every person is equally valuable, but I think we know by experience that's not actually the case. We actually live in a meritocracy. Um, the people who are most successful, the people with the most knowledge, the most wealth, um, they're the ones with the privileges. They deserve it, we say. Or, you have the modern movement, is you've got to be underprivileged. You're more favoured. You can speak in the public debate so long as you are from a particular gender or a particular race or you have a particular set of cultural experiences that give you a louder voice in most of our public debates. But the church needs to be different. The church needs to be different. We are all equally loved because our love is not based on what we do. It's not, not based on um, what we've missed out on. It's not even based, you know, our human rights are based on the fact that we're all made equal. Christians shouldn't even work on that level of equality. We are all equally sinners and all equally loved by God. That is the basis of equality in the church. And it means that we're all welcome, no matter what your background, no matter who you are. And that's how we treat each other. So you see this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. Um, it's not equality in the church is what he's promoting, but he doesn't base it on rights or deserving. Um, it's built on humility and love. Ephesians 4, verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, because we're saved by grace. That's where this has all come from. Right, so we think right about grace. It's undeserved favour. Therefore, we feel loved. So how do we live? Well, if God is generous, the right response is to trust. God's grace calls us to trust him. The first step is to trust him to save you. God has done all the work. He sent his son to the cross to die for you so that you could be right with him. He didn't just do that, he raised Jesus to life so that right now you are in the status of sitting in the throne room of God with God, throne room of God with him. That is your standard. If you trust in Jesus, that is your standard. So trust him. But I actually want to push a bit deeper than that because that is just the beginning of the Christian life. The whole of the Christian life is based on God being gracious and so we trust him. And that's why I had the reading from Matthew 6. Not because it mentions grace, but because it pushes us to trust God in the area of life I reckon that we in modern Australia struggle most. The area of money. We have trouble being generous with our money because we just we sort of feel secure if it's in the bank and it's in my hand. I need to save up a certain amount for retirement, a certain amount. I find myself constantly watching my bank balance, even though I know I shouldn't. I'm watching my bank balance, watching my superannuation fund, tracking my mortgage. Because that's where I often trust. This should be the small stuff. God has done the really hard bit. He saved me from hell and his judgment. This should be the easy stuff. But it's not. Because I underestimate God's graciousness, his generosity. Listen again to Matthew 6, verse 26. I've got it on the screen. Look at the birds of the air. 
They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Apparently there's this construction crew building a new road. A superintendent noticed that there was a nest of birds who couldn't yet fly, and so he marked that tree so it wouldn't get cut down. Uh, Weeks later, comes back, uh, gets into a bucket lift up to the nest. Yep, birds are gone. Tree can come down. Uh, As they're felling the tree and it crashes to the ground, the nest that was in the tree gets shattered and scattered across the ground, and they find in the nest a little scrap of Sunday school paper with just these three words, he cares for you. He cares for you. Those words from Matthew 6, and it's just played out in real life. God cares for the birds. He is gracious. He will care for you. God has shown us grace. Jesus lived, died, and rose for your salvation, even though you are his enemy. You can trust him. You can trust him with all of your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for reminding us again in your scriptures today. We don't deserve it, but you are kind. You have shown us favour and we can put our whole trust in you. Please do that work in us so that more and more we live lives that please you. We pray this in Jesus' name.